Thank you, Curtis, for leading us in worship this morning. And thank you especially to our musicians. How great to have them back in leading us in worship today. Turning our attention to the reading of God's Word from the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8. Go ahead and turn there if you would. I'll read it this morning. And we'll look at it in, in some detail today as we seek the Lord's application of his word and truth into our own lives. Jeremiah 23, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock. And have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Workers who faithfully do very challenging jobs have my deep respect and admiration, maybe yours too. Here's a question to get you thinking about some of the daily obstacles some people face in their jobs. Would you feel comfortable working at the highest heights or in the deepest parts of the ocean? I think about the historic photo of Empire State Building construction workers on the lunch break. Maybe you've seen it. It's a row of men sitting on a steel girder with their feet dangling high above the Manhattan skyline. There's not a rope or a harness in view. I don't think there were any. And they're munching on their sandwiches that they brought for lunch that day without, apparently, a care in the world. I can't imagine that. I don't know how they do it. It takes my breath away for a moment to think about it much less to think about getting up every day to do that over and over again. How about you? Or what about being a member of a nuclear submarine crew? There may be some in our, our uh, uh, sanctuary today who have done this. I, I think it would be very challenging. Life for weeks in cramped spaces without seeing the sun would be difficult for me. I don't know about you. There are many challenging jobs that gifted people do day in and day out. But today we're looking at a rather unique calling of an individual. Very few people in history have been called to the challenging role of being a spokesman 
for something as ominous as the coming judgment of the Lord. Being an Old Testament prophet like Jeremiah was had to be one of the most difficult and challenging roles that that I can imagine. He was a priest in Judah who lived and ministered in some of the darkest days of his country's history. Jeremiah spoke God's message during the reign of good king Josiah. We talked about Josiah last week. He was a good king for the most part. But his sons followed him and they were evil in God's sight. Jeremiah reigned during the evil king's time as well. He was called by God to preach against pervasive idolatry and moral decay and apostasy. And he was hated for his message. He experienced isolation, even imprisonment at the hands of his countrymen. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. When you think of Jeremiah, that's a title a lot of people uh, remember him by. He was weeping because his heart was broken by the spiritual rebellion of his people. And he knew what the result would be. He knew beforehand by God's message to him personally that eventually the Babylonian army would arrive as God's servant to take the people into 70 years of captivity. He was devastated by the message. He was called to proclaim, yet he did it. And he suffered for it. I would say that's a challenging role, to be sure. I believe you would agree. We've been reading through the Bible together, and this week's readings have been in the early chapters of Jeremiah's writing. Admittedly, Jeremiah's book isn't the easiest part of Scripture, after all. Um, it's, It's really different from Isaiah. Unlike Isaiah, which is largely chronological, Jeremiah seems oftentimes jumbled and Hard to decipher. Here's an important key, I believe, to reading and applying the book of Jeremiah. This book is a case study in the importance of zeroing in on the main message. Let me repeat that. Jeremiah is a case study in the importance of zeroing in on the main message. What is the main message? The holy God of history is a just judge who brings destruction to Judah for its rejection of him. But this same God is also a God of grace who promises and provides hope and restoration for a remnant of his people. So there's justice, there's holiness, there's also grace and provision. There are a lot of powerful concepts in Jeremiah's writings. If you've been following along with the reading I'll mention a few just to set the stage for where we're headed this morning. Here's part of Jeremiah's indictment of the people, Jeremiah 6, 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. I love that passage, by the way. What was the people's response? But they said, we will not walk in it. Further, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet, the Lord says. But they said, we will not pay attention. Clearly, this is a stiff-necked and perilous rejection of Jeremiah's message from the Lord. 
And even though the Lord is patient, there's a limit to his waiting for the people to return to him. In Jeremiah 19, 11, we reach that point. We read, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. God is saying that the limit has been reached and judgment will fall. What a sobering and hard message for this prophet to deliver. Not only would the nation be broken in judgment by God's hand, the heart of the prophet is broken as well by his own prophetic message from God's mouth to him to speak this message of what was to come. Perhaps at his lowest point of despair, Jeremiah struggled, as we sometimes do, with a really hard question. We don't have it in Scripture. But I wonder, the question is this, does God care? Does God care? I think back over the years of my ministry, the privilege I've had in being with people in the most challenging times of their lives. What a privilege it is. Very difficult things. An unwelcome and an unanticipated diagnosis. A struggling marriage. The news of a lost job. Unfulfilled hopes for engagement. The death of a loved one. The list goes on. Maybe people don't dare to say the words or specifically ask the exact question, but it's easy sometimes to read between the lines that the question really is just that, does God care? Does he care for me as I'm going through this very difficult season? Maybe you've been there, or perhaps that's precisely where you, where you find yourself this morning. Does God care? And I, I think, too, about uh, the larger scale beyond the personal challenges, as real, as hard as they are when they come. We often read or hear news uh, that's very hard to know. Our hearts are troubled by senseless turmoil and war in places like Ukraine and, and beyond. And our hearts are broken when we learn about recently discovered historic abuse that took place among Native American people, the First Nations people of Canada all through the residential schools movement uh, in our two countries. Does God care about Ukraine? Does God care about the native peoples? The question, when you think about it, however, is actually not a terrible starting point for consideration. It wouldn't even be a question for, for entering the minds of some. In a debate at Oxford University some years ago, Peter Atkins, who was a professor of physical chemistry at the university, ridiculed theists for believing that, as he said, there is this thing out there, this unknown thing up there, that we have to spend our time kowtowing to. Later, in in a separate interview, Professor Atkins was asked to give his views on the existence of God. His reply was, well, it's fairly straightforward, there isn't one. So the question, does God care, is nonsensical to him and to other atheists like him. It doesn't enter his mind. Other people, uh, we would call them deists, technically. They themselves likely wouldn't use that term. Uh, deists believe that there is a God who exists 
somewhere, some higher power. But they claimed that after he created the world, he withdrew from any engagement with his creation. For them, prayer to him is also totally meaningless since they deny that God cares about any detail of our lives, much less our difficulties, our failures. Some in our day and culture really are practical deists who live that way, even though they very likely, as I said, never use that exact title for their belief system. But we know that the Bible tells a very different story. This morning we'll examine ways that Jeremiah answers our question about whether God cares. The answer, I'm happy to tell you, is a resounding and a hearty yes. Yes, he does care. God does care. Here are some ways we know from today's text. God cares about good leadership for his people is the first, first thing we'll look at. God cares about good leadership for his people. God's concern about leadership is part of his message of care. I would say with a question mark, that seems like an unusual thing uh, for an indicator of care at first. Think about it just a little bit. It may seem surprising, but when you ponder it a little further, it's actually pretty special. But listen to the potent words of condemnation of the shepherds of Israel. Let me remind you, the shepherds, Old Testament terminology were the kings as well as the religious leaders of the day. Look back at verse 1. Woe to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock, have driven them away, you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. The primary responsibility of the king of Judah was to be an example of obedience to God's law. We know that from earlier in the Old Testament over in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Kings were instructed this way. When the king sits on the throne of his kingdom... He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him and he shall read it. He shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. But unlike that direction, which was really very clear, instead of addressing the spiritual needs of the flock of God, the people of Israel, the evil sons of Josiah scattered the people instead of gathering and protecting them. It is a picture of a flock. And here they're scattered. They're not being gathered in and protected. God essentially says to these wicked leaders, you have not fulfilled the role assigned to you, your appointed role. But instead, you've done great harm. I will now come after you to set things right. 
and will save a remnant of my chosen people. The word woe introduces a very stern prediction of judgment. It can't be taken lightly in any way. This is the king of the universe saying, I am coming after you, king and leaders of Israel, of Judah. The leaders, the shepherds, instead of gathering and caring for the people, had instead scattered them into idolatry specifically and into exile as a result eventually. This destruction is a direct result of bad leadership and the active choices of the people as well. The people weren't innocent in it. They were very much a part of the whole thing. But the leaders bear extra responsibility. But verse 3 tells us that the good shepherd himself will intervene and regather a remnant of the sheep in the land. Look back at verse 3. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them. And I will bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. It's really a giant restart. Reminiscent of Genesis 1. Did you recognize the language from the very first chapter of the Bible? God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This exact same language is used here and points to a new beginning, a restoration. And then verse 4 continues the idea. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So that restoration is by God's provision. The provision is good shepherds, good leaders, good rulers, good good people to care. And he does that through Ezra and Nehemiah. We'll see shortly in our readings in the days of the return to the land. You know, this isn't just an Old Testament concept at all. This concept of shepherding has a very strong New Testament application for us too. How important it is to pray for, encourage, and listen carefully to God-appointed authority. Parents certainly fill that role for their children. But I'm going to say even richer application has to do with the elders of God's church. They're called shepherds. Not by accident. The Apostle Paul, in exhorting the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Does God care? Yes, the good shepherd cares that his people, the sheep of his pasture, have good leaders. Another of God's prophets, Zechariah, said in chapter 10 of his prophecy, the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. And don't forget that Israel's King David testified The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. Be grateful that God's care is directly to you by his hand and also personally to you through under-shepherds appointed by him. There's other truth for us to apply today in this question of does God care. Look at verses 5 and 6. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Our second point this morning, God cares about keeping his promises. God cares about keeping his promises. I have to wonder what level of comprehension the prophet Jeremiah had about the words that the Lord had given him in those two verses we just read. Could he have known, perhaps he did, that this prophecy was a clear promise of the Messiah who was yet to come? We're not told by the prophets how much that they comprehended about the the far distant future. But this was a clear statement of God's plan of provision through the Messiah to come generations, centuries later. If so, this, this weeping prophet, Jeremiah, whose tears had been so bitter at the prophecy of judgment, may well now be shedding tears of joy in anticipation of the Lord's rich blessing to come. I wonder, was he blessed in that specific way? Did Jeremiah realize that his prophecy was a continuation of the messianic prediction that dated all the way back to the the first giving of the gospel in the Garden of Eden? We just quoted from Genesis 1. Think about Genesis 3, where God says, there will be one who will come, who will serve, who will be wounded uh, for his people. The Heidelberg Catechism makes clear that the mediator, that's another term for Messiah, of course, to come was proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and the prophets. Jeremiah is right there in that list of the prophets. Jeremiah's others um, before him was announcing that Jesus would come as righteous and just king. He would come from the lineage of David. He would be a branch sprouting from the trunk of David's family tree. I, I love that tree imagery uh, that's there. It's also picked up very clearly in the last chapter of Scripture. We look at the beginning. We look at the last as well today. Revelation 22, where Jesus says that he is the root and the descendant of David at the same time. He is David's predecessor and his offspring both at once. An amazing thing. On David's throne rules a king who cares by keeping his promises. In Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, Paul prays for the believers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. What a special prayer that is. It's one of of my favorite places in Scripture, perhaps yours too, that the Holy Spirit himself will grant special wisdom and understanding. And the way he pictures it is that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. They'd be open to to see the light. Paul's experience on the Damascus Road, uh, he was blinded, and then the scales fell off of his eyes. A beautiful picture of exactly what he's praying for the Ephesian believers and us too. Scottish pastor Alistair Begg 
summarizes these amazing, fulfilled promises of God in the life of the believer. He's written a book called Pray Big. I'm going to recommend it to uh, the church that, uh, that we read it, that you read it. I won't be here to read it with you uh, in the new year. It's the plan to uh, move from reading through the Bible to concentrating on prayer in the new year. He summarizes the blessings of God to believers listed in Ephesians 1 this way. They are chosen to be holy and blameless in God's sight. This is from right there from uh, the, the first chapter of Ephesians. Further, they were predestined to be God's adopted children, loved as his eternal son is loved. Stop and think about that for a second. God's adopted children, loved as his eternal son is loved. Further, believers are redeemed by the blood of Jesus so that they can enjoy the reality of knowing that although they are sinners, they are forgiven sinners. Additionally, they have been brought into the great plan of the Father to bring all things into unity and perfection under the glorious rule of his Son. There's future glory and hope. They have an inheritance of eternity with him ahead of them and the Spirit from him dwelling in them, guaranteeing that they will reach that place. I hope your heart fills with overflowing joy and gratitude for all that God has done for you already and what he promises to do in the future. These promises of God, really down payments of eternity, are accomplished by the righteous branch of David, none other than Jesus the Messiah, whose name is the Lord is our righteousness. Does God care? Our third point today, God cares about the future. We've touched on it a little bit. Let's take it further. Verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Verse 8. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, Then they shall dwell in their own land. The days are coming, the prophet says. It's a general statement. It's a promise that uh, God will accomplish his plan in due time. It's very future looking. And it's a grand promise of redemption and sets the stage for the Messiah as well. It's stated as a progression. The old standard of salvation was God redeeming his people from Egypt. They're to look back with gratitude. God, you rescued us from captivity for generations in the country of Egypt, slavery there. But after the return from Babylon, the new standard was that God had gathered his people and sent them back home to the land. But the New Testament sets the bar infinitely higher. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah gives us hope for the future by accomplishing new life for us that we receive by faith. I believe hope for the future is a powerful concept. It provides us with courage, with perspective. It gives us freedom to risk much in our lives. Earlier I mentioned two global uh, situations as challenges 
Do you remember Ukraine, the Native American thing? Let me give you some updates on great hope for the future from some of our missionaries who are living and serving in those settings. Just to remind us all about Ukraine, I would say it seems hopelessly under attack currently by an invading army. But listen for hope from this letter this week from Mitchell Rhodes National Partner there. His name is Vladimir Dektaryov. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. He's at Zaporozhye Bible Seminary. He writes, for more than five months, Ukraine has been at war with Russia. God has performed miracles during this time. Despite all the pessimistic forecast at the end of February, Ukraine has not fallen but continues to courageously defend itself and win back occupied territories. Zaporozhye is located in the frontline zone. You may have heard that name on the news because it's the, the largest nuclear reactor in that region of Ukraine. The largest nuclear reactor in Europe is right there. It's been under attack. Zaporozhye, as he writes, is located in the frontline zone and the risk of hostilities escalating in our region remains quite high. Thank you for your prayers and support for the seminary during this difficult time. A little about our ministry and plans for the future. Here's where the hope thing comes in. During these months, the seminary has primarily been engaged in helping those escaping from the war zone. Many refugees have passed through the ZBS campus and received necessary assistance and an overnight stay in our buildings. And it is thanks to your support that we've been able to do this. The time has come, though, while still continuing to help refugees in one way or another to return to our main calling to prepare Christian servants for the ministries of local churches during this difficult time. You picture this setting. Just today, as I write, the ZBS faculty held a meeting and made important decisions. It was unanimously decided to begin the new academic year on September 5th. Additionally, we plan to launch today with the graduation ceremony we were unable to have in May. Thanks be to the Lord for those who are able to successfully complete their studies, even in wartime. Please pray that the enemy will not frustrate these plans. Pray for the graduates and continuing students, especially for the new enrollees who have to make the difficult decision about their studies. Indeed, they do. An amazing testimony of courage and hope and risk-taking uh, in a time of war. What about the Native American situation I mentioned? Pastor Rowan Crown, who serves in Alberta, Canada, uh, wrote recently that there had been a breakthrough in their ministry on the Blackfoot Native Reserve, which is uh, neighboring to their town. After many years in relationship building with Native people in the city of Lethbridge, Rowan and his church's ministry team have been invited to provide a children's Bible program on the reserve right in the middle of town where many people would experience it. It's an amazing thing. Rowan is asking for prayer, for wisdom, for next steps as they move forward in serving this unreached people group in North America. Amazing testimonies of God's provision and hope one of my favorite benedictions in scripture is in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Brothers and sisters, as my wife Martha and I will soon enter a new phase in our lives and ministry and retirement, we're really trying to figure this out. We've never done this before. We are incredibly grateful to the Lord for the privilege of knowing and serving alongside you here at Mitchell Road and our family here together. We're able with you to look to the future with assurance, with joy, with peace that the Lord's faithfulness continues. What a privilege to link arms with you for five plus years, to dream for the future as well. I believe the next chapter in Mitchell Road ministry has great potential for kingdom usefulness. I'm personally excited to see how the Lord will use and bless the church's vision for global and domestic church planting, much more. So back to our question this morning, does God care? Does God care? The apostle Peter sums up scripture's answer well in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray together.